On Canonical, we deal with subjects that may be distressing for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. The snow set a stark contrast to the silent farmstead. Its inhabitants had not been seen for days and people were starting to get worried. The young girl who lived there had not been seen at school for days and the family had not attended church that Sunday. It was time for someone to look, and so Lorenz did. He led a search party to the farmstead not knowing that what they were about to discover would likely haunt them for the rest of their lives. This is Canonical. Kaifeg Farmstead was a remote, lonely place about an hour from Munich and just outside the town of Kaifeg in Bavaria, Germany. It was home to 35-year-old Victoria Gabriel, her two, two children, Kazella, age 7, and Joseph, age 2, as well as Victoria's parents, Kazella and Andreas Gruber. In the spring of 1922, strange things began to happen at the farm. The family maid had recently abandoned her position, claiming that she had been hearing strange noises and believed the house to be haunted. One of the inhabitants, Andreas Gruber, had found an unusual Munich newspaper on the property that March and couldn't remember purchasing it. He initially, initially believed that the postman had lost the paper. But when Gruber also found fresh footsteps in the snow leading from the nearby woods to a broken door in the farm's machine room, he found no retreating footprints. Later, the family had heard footsteps coming from the attic, but Gruber found no one when he searched the building. He allegedly told several people about these strange happenings, but refused help and therefore the police were never informed. On March 31st, 44-year-old Maria Baumgarter arrived at the farm to start her first day as the family's maid. Her sister had arrived with her to the farm, but had left that afternoon, leaving her sister to begin her duties. Little did her sister know that she would never see her sister or her employers again. She may have even been the last person to see the family alive. By the time the postman dropped off the mail on the morning of April 1st, the family and their maid would be dead. A week after Maria Baumgarter had arrived at the farm, the neighbours and other townspeople began to grow concerned for the family's welfare. Seven-year-old Kazella had missed school, and the family had not been seen at the church service that Sunday. Despite multiple townspeople stopping by Hinterkaifeck, no one had been able to get an answer from the family. Some say they saw smoke coming from the chimney, and it appeared that someone had been home recently, opening windows and eating food. On April 4th, Albert Hofner, a mechanic, arrived at Hinterkaifeck to work on a feeding machine. He spent several hours at the farm without seeing a single person. He had tried on his arrival to get the attention of the family, but other than hearing the family dog barking, he had failed to get the attention of any other occupant. He tried to see if he could get the attention of the family on his departure, but once again was unable to contact anyone. So, after telling a neighbour that he hadn't seen the family, but had completed the job, he left the farm. Once again, concern for the family's welfare was raised. 
The family's neighbour, Lawrence Schlittenbauer, had sent his sons to see if they could locate the family. When they returned, still unable to contact Victoria or any of the other family members, Lawrence went to other neighbours, Jakob Segel and Maggie Paul, to join him on a search of the farmstead. The three men arrived at the farm around 5pm on the evening of Tuesday the 4th of April. The rusted gates creaked as the men made their way through, stepping into the silent yard. All doors to the house were closed and locked, with the exception of the one to the machine room, which had been left open by the mechanic earlier that day. The three men went into the machine room and found a door to the barn which they managed to break open. Lawrence entered the barn, followed by Jacob and Michael. It housed several young cattle, but was otherwise quiet and empty. Lawrence stumbled across a pile of hay on the floor as he made his way toward the animals. Suddenly, Michael's voice bounced off the stone walls of the barn. There's a foot. A large board covered the hay that Lorenzo tripped over. As he looked down and moved the board and hay aside, he could clearly see the body of Andreas Gruber. The three men then found the corpses of Cazella Sr., Cazella Jr. and Victoria stacked one on top of another. The hay and board had been a means of crudely covering the gruesome scene. Andreas was dressed in his trousers and undershirt, Cazella Jr. was in her nightgown, and Victoria and Cazella Sr. were fully dressed. They had all suffered from severe and violent facial and head injuries. Now alone, Lorenz continued further into the house. The family dog, a Pomeranian, was tied in the stable, but otherwise everything was still in good condition and the cattle had feed in their trough. Lorenz entered the house and found the remains of Joseph in his cot. He opened the door to the yard and was rejoined by both Jacob and Michael. Together, they entered the house and ventured to the sleeping quarters, where they found the feet of the maid Maria poking out from under a bed. The large wooden bed frame was shifted aside and her body was uncovered. She was laying fully dressed next to her still unpacked backpack from her arrival the previous Friday. The days following the discovery of the bodies were busy ones. Investigations were underway immediately and the locals were understandably shaken. Many police resources were taken up communicating with the locals about the investigation, taking statements and preventing them from coming up to Hunt Farm. There is no official autopsy report for the murders, but a police telegram does hold details concerning the injuries and does shed some light on what happened to the family. Cazella Senior had, had several large head wounds, including a cracked skull. The right side of her face also had severe wounds, exposing the bone. Andreas's right side of his face and head had been torn open and his skull smashed. Victoria had injuries to the right side of her face as well as a cracked skull and nine star-shaped wounds. Cazella Jr.'s skull had been shattered. She reportedly had not died immediately and doctors think she was alive for a few hours after the attack as she was found with tufts of hair in her hands, supposedly having torn it out due to the pain she was experiencing. She is also the only victim that had any chance of survival had she been found sooner. Joseph also had a shattered skull and his cot had been broken due to the force of the blow. Maria's skull was smashed and she had injuries to the right side of her face. All six victims suffered severe head injuries from a blunt object. This was considered the outright cause of death. 
and police quickly surmised that the killer or killers had lured the victims to the barn one by one, possibly by releasing cattle. Once someone was in the barn, the perpetrator attacked the victim before moving on to the next. They then entered the house, killed Joseph in his cot, and finally the maid. On the 5th of April, criminal inspector <coughs> Georg Reingruber arrived at the scene from Munich. However, the few hours he spent at the farmstead that day would be the only time he spent working on the case in person. The head of the investigation and his team preferred to communicate remotely via phone and telegram. The manpower on the ground came largely from the local town of Schrobenhausen, though there is an incomplete list of investigators that show upward of 50 people working on the crime scene from a number of divisions and municipalities. In total, there were over 100 statements taken from the townspeople and surrounding farms. As the details of the days leading up to the murders became apparent, the victim's state of dress, Maria's backpack still being packed, and Kazila's absence from school on more than one occasion, led police to come to the realisation that the murders most likely took place on the night of March 31st. However, there was some confusion. There had been witnesses that said the farmstead had been unusually quiet over the weekend, and that there, but there were also others that said there'd been activity on the farm since the 31st. It appeared that someone had been feeding the cattle, and smoke had been spotted coming from the chimney on at least one occasion. A statement made by Michael Plockel, unfortunately no longer available in its full form, was recorded in part and stated that... One witness noticed on the morning of Saturday, April the 1st, the oven door was closed but half opening open on the evening. The chimney had given out smoke in the evening, and he saw a fire in the oven and an electric torch in the forest nearby the farm. Initially, after finding that some marks were missing from the victim's wallets and finding very little in the way of paper money in the house, police suspected that the murders may have been the result of a robbery gone wrong. The murders remain unsolved today, but there have been suspects and people questioned in relation to the horrific events at Hintkaifek. Our first suspect is Joseph Bartle. Bartle was the original suspect in the murders, having escaped a mental asylum. Criminal investigator Ryan Gruber alerted the police to the possibility that Bartle was involved in the murder almost immediately. Although Ryan Gruber faced criticism in later years for his premature judgment on Bartle, given the only things linking him to the crime were his recent escape and the brutality of the crimes. In fact, the hospital that Bartle escaped from was over 70 kilometres away from the Hinterkaifeck farmstead, and Bartle apparently had no knowledge of either the farm or its location. Despite this initial link with the investigation, Bartle is considered to be a fringe suspect today. Our next suspects are the brothers Anton and Charles Bickler. The Bickler brothers hailed from Groben and, like Bartle, were initial subjects suspects in the investigation. Anton Bickler was known to have had a previous intimate relationship with a former maid on Hintakai Effect and had previously worked the farm during harvest. The brothers were known in the area for having been convicted of several petty thefts and spoken and had spoken about coveting the wealth of the Grubers, which was apparently stashed on Hunterkaifek. They were released uh, as both could provide uh, watertight alibis. They kept them away from, away from the area in the town of Schrobenhausen before and after the 31st of March. 
One of the more unusual suspects in the case was Carl Gabriel, Victoria's dead husband. On April 29, 1922, the Schrobenhausen police contacted Munich and asked, After the comprehensive investigations into the murder case have hitherto produced no result, I would urge the police authorities to make inquiries at the care centres in Munich, as well as other offices in Bavaria, whether the husband of the murdered owner, named Carl Gabriel, while according to a death announcement dated 12th of December 1914 and published in the Schrobenhausen Weekly, should have fallen at Neuville and not returned with the prison transport just before the murder. Police's suspicions over Carl Gabriel's death were brought about by the realisation that the perpetrator was supposedly well acquainted with the farm and and its goings-on. Gabriel's body had also never been found or returned from the war after his reported death. The police supposed that if Gabriel had in fact survived, he may have returned to the farm to find that Victoria had a child. Of course, when you take a good look at Gabriel as a suspect, everything starts to fall apart. First, if he had survived the war, where had he been for the last seven years? There were of course rumours that Carl and Victoria did not have a happy marriage, and that he had left the farm and returned to a stay with his parents at least once in their short married life. He also supposedly experienced abuse at the hands of Andreas, who allegedly beat him, and this caused Gabriel to volunteer for the war rather than being drafted in order to escape the abuse. Of course, we need to take the testimony of Gabriel's regiment into account. They all stated that they had seen his body on the battlefield, and he was very much dead. The final suspect we're going to consider here is Lawrence Schlittenbauer, the man who discovered the bodies. He is heavenly heavily implicated in much of the English literature on the case. While his name is often repeated, the claims laid against him are often rooted in facts that are untrue but regularly repeated. However, even if we disregard the false facts surrounding Schlittenbauer, there is still quite the case against him. He, of course, was well acquainted with the layout of the farm, his own property being less than half a kilometre away, and he was also well acquainted with the Grubers and had worked with them for a long time. He is also said to have intimate knowledge of the house due to a brief sexual relationship with Victoria. He allegedly was even planning to marry her after the death of his first wife. This was complicated by Victoria falling pregnant with Joseph, who had questionable parentage. Victoria claimed that Schlittenbauer was Joseph's father. However, with the rumours that swirled about the possibility of an incestuous relationship between Andreas and Victoria, this cannot be confirmed. Jakob Siegel, who had ventured to Hinterkaifeld with Schlittenbauer when they found the bodies, said, Paul and I immediately told Schlittenbauer when we found the bodies that he should be careful to leave things as they are. But he refl- replied he had to see things for himself. He then told me to feed the cattle, but I told him we were going home and reporting to the police. And Schlittenbauer allegedly did nothing to stop the arrival of the townspeople and the disturbance of the crime scene. He also did not seem disturbed by the possibility that the killer was still in the farmhouse when he was questioned. Police asked why he hadn't been afraid, and he answered, I was so worked up that I didn't think of anything. I assumed my boy had to be starving, even if I wasn't completely sure that he was my child or not. I still felt compassion for the boy and wanted to look after him at once. Schlittenbauer allegedly spent a lot of time cleaning the crime scene, feeding the animals, and even took care of two pigs at his own home. Could this have been a coping mechanism 
after discovering a brutal scene involving people he had known his entire life, including a boy who may have been his son, or perhaps this was a violent murderer cleverly covering his tracks. He was of course suspected in the village. He eventually received damages from one man for slander after being repeatedly accused of being the murderer. Unfortunately for the investigation, there were also many things convincing enough that Schlittenbauer could be innocent. The police never arrested Schlittenbauer or considered him more suspect above the others. In the final police report, the investigators had written, Subsequent to interrogations, there were some inconsistencies in Schlittenbauer's statements that were revealed. He, however, presented his answers in such a way that legitimate doubts about his guilt have to arise. He repeatedly declared his innocence in tears and declared that he was well aware that he was a suspect in the area, emphasising this was chiefly due to his energetic involvement as a local guide and his willingness to help. There are no indications for further action. Despite the police's apparent confidence he was not involved, Schlittenbauer remains a suspect high on the list even today. While not unfounded, it is often closely related to the dubious parentage of Joseph, which is not a reason in itself to accuse Schlittenbauer outright. Overall, there is an endless list of suspects for these murders, well over a hundred, and we may never know the answer to the biggest questions surrounding the investigation. Who committed the murders and why? It's tragic to think that we may never get the answers we desire. It has been nearly a century since the murders at Hinterkaifeck and the more time passes the less likely it is. Very little evidence made it through the war and it is just as likely that the murders were committed by someone unknown to the family, police and us today. The case had been re- has been reopened several times in the last century. Even psychics have given it a chance. The bodies of all the Gruber family and Maria were decapitated not long after autopsies were completed. The skulls were then sent to Munich where they were examined for metaphysical clues, but nothing was found. In 1923, the new owners of the farm demolished the property, and the family's skulls were lost during World War II and never returned. The family, sand skull, were buried in a plot in Wadehoven. There is now a monument where the farmhouse stood, memorialising the victims, not just their elusive killer. Thank you for listening to Canonical True Crime. Sources for this week's episode include Unsolved Casebook, The Dark Histories Podcast, Atlas Obscura, and more. For a full list of sources for this week, head to our website. Follow us on Instagram at Canonical True Crime to keep up to date with all our latest episodes and be the first to know when a new episode drops. Rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out. You can also listen on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If we aren't on your favorite platform, Let us know and we'll do our best to get on there. See you next time.